does an NHL team have 65 wins in the regular season? Setting a league record, setting pretty much every league record, and then get a 3-1 to series lead in the first round of playoffs, and then lose at home in overtime. Good morning to you. Good Monday morning. I'm Dayan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates, the same place that you found this. Panthers 4, Bruins 3 in overtime. Carter Verhage with the winner in the Western Game 7. Seattle beat Colorado 2 to 1. The Kraken, the expansion Kraken, well, not so far removed from expansion, eliminating the defending champs. But I'm sorry, the story of these playoffs is what happened in Boston last night. And it's going to be the thing that gets talked about for days and weeks to come. How, how could the Bruins have fallen? How could they have all that size, skill, experience, uh, cup-winning mentality, knowing how to get the job done, and everything else they have, including you know a fair amount, a decent amount of youth and fire and energy? How? How could it happen? And I guarantee you, you're not going to hear almost anyone say what I'm about to say goaltending. See, here's what happens. You can build up Linus Ulmark and even Jeremy Swayman over the course of a long winter. You can say, wow, these guys are, they won the Jennings Trophy for the lowest goals against. They're, uh, Ulmark's going to win without a question. The Vezina, uh, there's no way anyone else could even be in the running with his stats. And no one's going to ask themselves, were either of them, in particular, Olmark, legit or not? You know, they had that really cool celebration. You might have seen it after some of Boston's games where the two of them would go and chest bump each other and give them this big animated embrace, and everyone thought, what a tandem. The Bruins are so loaded in goal. And, 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 and they weren't. And they weren't. You can't just have goaltending pop up out of thin air and go to that level unless it's got some extraordinary supporting cast in front of it. And I know the Bruins weren't a team that played any sort of super stingy style. They did keep their opponents' goals for low, obviously. That's how you end up getting a Jennings. But they they weren't conservative in their style. If anything, they just played the same way Boston's played for years, which is to just run up as many shots as possible at the other end. So when exactly was a shortcoming in goal supposed to get exposed? Yeah, in the playoffs. Oh, and by the way, against an opponent, very, very, very much capable of doing so. We saw the Panthers score from... All over the place, we saw Brandon Montour, Aaron Ekblad, a bunch of guys from the back end get shots through, keep pucks in. We saw the guys up front, not just you know your stars, your Sasha Barkovs and your Matthew Kachucks and so forth. You saw the Sam Reinharts. You saw a bunch of other guys 
contribute, and relentlessly so. That's a real live, good hockey team. I've only been saying that for a while now, and I'm not talking about this season. I'm talking about for several seasons. I have felt for years that this is the NHL's most underachieving overall roster. Even with various changes, they've still had a ton of talent in Sunrise. So it was a good opponent, but it was a particularly good opponent to have a chance to expose your goaltending if it wasn't going to be playoff level. And Boston didn't have that. When you're entering a Game 7, having lost confidence in your starter, and that's what Olmark was despite the whole tandem label, you've lost confidence in Olmark, and you go into a Game 7 feeling like you need to start your backup, you're hoping, man. You're hoping. If you're Jim Montgomery, you're you're just crossing your fingers walking into TD Garden. You have no idea what you're going to get from that position. And sure enough, you had no idea what you'd get in this game. That's not to say that all these goals were Swayman's fault or whatever else here. Look, you guys don't care about the Bruins. You don't care about the Panthers. I'm going to guess you don't care about the Kraken and the Avalanche either. You didn't push daily shot of dot, 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 any of those teams. But I am here today to remind everyone yet again that your favorite hockey team will go exactly nowhere without elite playoff-level goaltending. And you can go right around the league and find your exceptions, okay? And they do exist because neither Toronto nor Edmonton have any goaltending, and that's why neither of those teams are going to win. And at the same time, if you look at Seattle, if you look at Newark, you look at the places where they're getting That type of goaltending, they advance. Most other things in a playoff series tend to even themselves out because of the extraordinary extra energy that goes into these games. That tends to just be a wash. The goaltending is the separator probably nine times out of ten in a series. And I honestly don't think I'm exaggerating on that. Heck, all you need to do is to go back to this time last spring. The Penguins were the team with the 3-1 lead. The Penguins were the team that had the Rangers asking themselves, oh, what's wrong with us and everything else. They're the ones that had the Vezina Trophy winning goaltender as long as we're looking for parallels here. And Igor Shesterkin, and he's getting mocked and booed. And you're thinking he's going to get benched. And he does get benched, but he bounces back. Meanwhile, the Penguins are putting an AHL guy out there. And everyone's going, wow, how have they let the Rangers climb back into this thing? How do you think they let them climb back into this? There was never anything to overanalyze. People got mad at me at the time. Some of you listening to this show got mad at me at the time. I remember it vividly. Oh, you're DK, you're oversimplifying this. You're you're making excuses for the core or the you know lack of a supporting cast or the head coach or whatever. Oh, man, they had Louis Domingue in goal. What did you think was going to happen? And then by the time you get to Game 7, it's a crapshoot. Tristan Jari goes out there on a broken foot. I thought he played pretty well under the circumstances, but not well enough. And they lose. They lose because of goaltending. Gotta get one of these. Gotta get one. When we come back, J1Q.
Eric Naughton who says, Mikhail Granlund, does it make sense to bump him up to the top six and trade Brian Rust? You avoid a buyout. He did produce points in Nashville's top six, and Rust can actually get you a decent bottom six guy and maybe a prospect. Eric, I am all kinds of no on this. Uh, I have no use whatsoever. Uh, It's not going to happen. You might recall that late in the season, a couple of situations had occurred where Sullivan was pressed into using Granlund in that type of role. And and it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. Okay, so I'm going to qualify this before I sound like I'm just piling on to pile on. He is a very good NHL passer. And when you're out there with Evgeny Malkin and his principal concern with his line mates has always been, do they get me the puck or do they not get me the puck? Granlin's really good at getting anyone the puck. Still, hasn't changed. But I'm here to tell you that if you're on that line and you don't score, you will not stay there for very long. You can't stay there for very long because part of what makes Gino great is that not only does he want the puck all the time, he also wants to be able to distribute it where it can result in other people's goals. If you go back to not this past season, but the season before, and you look at Gino's peripherals, he did everything he needed to do to be an upper echelon producer in the NHL, except that his wingers couldn't score to save their lives. And that's wasting a really, really big tool out of the toolkit there. So I actually, you'll notice I entertained that one in a civil way, as opposed to saying, what? <laughs> okay, Cranlin's not getting elevated. And if he does, you can forget about this team next year. Okay, you can forget about them uh, competing, contending for anything. As for Rust, he's going to be a, a popular target for who could be that guy that you move in a trade. I noticed you didn't mention cap space. Cap space is the real reason that you would trade him. It wouldn't be for any kind of commodity coming back. In fact, the less of a hockey component that you get back for Rust, the greater the chance you'll get full cap relief, which, as I've been saying, isn't exactly a sexy acquisition for a new GM, but a new GM deserves to come in with as much flexibility as possible within an overall circumstance that would appear to offer very, very little. I'm just not sure that's how I'd go about it. I'm just not. I I, I feel like you have a better chance of pulling something off by either letting Jason Zucker walk, and no, I'm not in favor of that either, but I'm not the one that dug this cap hole. Or doing something toward moving a defenseman that you might not want to move. That's, man, it's just so tough. It's so tough. Whoever takes this job, God bless them, really. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everyone who listens to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow.